The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for your goodness, for your sovereignty, uh, for the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you never change. Um, God, we worship you for that. And uh, we just pray for Scott as he um, delivers the message right now, Uh, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, uh, make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit, and just empower him with the the words um, of your gospel, of your grace, and of your comfort for us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ethan. And hey, everybody, thank you for joining us online. I realize that for a lot of you, this is the first time you've ever done this before. And if you're watching this, then congratulations, you did it. And uh, that's great. We're really glad to have you with us. And for some of you, you do this all the time. And right now you're thinking, I don't know what's up with my church. It's getting kind of crowded in here. Anyway, for you, yeah, thanks for the laugh back there. Hey, uh, for those of you who are doing that, we're glad that you're with us every week, and we hope that this helps you even have build a better community. And so we're excited to be here, and I wanted to start off with a few different things as we get started. A few things I want you to know. Number one is church is never canceled. As Ryan said earlier, the church is not what happens when you're at a building or at an address, you know, a, sp- a specific address. A church is not a corporation, a nonprofit corporation that meets. That's not church. The church is the people. The church is you. The church is you and me and the people of Jesus who gather together. We are the church. And wherever you are, you're at church because you're there. And wherever you go, the people who are with you, they're at church too because they're with you, because you're the church. And when we have times like this that disrupt our patterns, when we have times like this where everything just seems crazy and and it's time to change, this is actually a great opportunity to remember those things. And one of the biggest things we want to remember together is that we are the church, not the location or not how we do our services or how all of that works. We are the church. And you know what, if you are by yourself today, I realize a lot of you might be watching this on your your own. You're the church and you need to know that Jesus is with you now. One of the things I like to pray is that God would make us aware of his presence because he is always with us. And I want you to know that Jesus is with you now. And one of the things that we're doing is praying about those who might get isolated during this time, those who may feel like they just are not going to have human contact and contact with the rest of the church. First of all, I want you to know you're part of the church and we love you and we're praying for you. And you should also know that Jesus is with you. So now some of you are all by yourself and you're thinking, this is great. You know, I've talked to somebody uh, this week who said, I hope I get quarantined. Imagine what I could get done in two weeks. Whatever your attitude is, we're really glad 
uh, to have you here with us online. And we want you to know that the church is not closed. The church is us. So right now we want to see this as an opportunity to break through the myth of church just being some location or a gathering of people in one spot for an hour and a half a week. No, the church is every single day. It's wherever God brings us. Nobody can ever cancel church. And secondly, we are changing our behavior for a few weeks as the result of this virus, but I do want you to understand this. We didn't make this decision because we're afraid. We made this decision because we believe it's the wise thing to do. And we had a lot of meetings and we consulted with experts and we really believe that this is the right thing for us to do for our church family. But we're not doing it because we're afraid. We've had a lot of conversations with medical professionals and this seems like the wisest thing to do. So we're gonna keep doing that for a while. And it's especially important for our elderly and for people who have underlying health conditions, as you heard before. This can be very dangerous. But this also gives us some great opportunities to refocus on some great areas of care ministry and other things. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Thirdly, I want you to know something else. Today, we're speaking from this great passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells us not to worry. Here's something you need to know. This sermon plan was done months ago. This was the week we were going to talk about Jesus telling us not to worry anyway. This has been on the calendar for us here at the church for a long time. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. I like to say that the Holy Spirit is a great organizer, and there's all kinds of things that happen in his church, in Jesus' church, that we may not be aware of, but it's not unplanned. And this is not unplanned. And lots of other churches are going to preach from the same passage today, I'm sure, and it maybe wasn't in their plan. But you know what? When Jesus gave us this at the Sermon on the Mount, it was in his plan. Because he knew there would be times throughout all of human history where our routine gets disrupted and where people get great concerns about their stuff or the way they're going to live life or the normalcy of whatever pattern they've developed in whatever culture they're in. Jesus knew that. And he knew it wasn't just for the people he was speaking to 2,000 years ago. He was also saying it for us. So I think that we can get a lot out of this passage today that is so very relevant. And what Jesus tells us is not to worry. So let me ask you, are you worried? You might be, and you might be tuning in here maybe for the first time because suddenly you realize, you know what, life is pretty fragile. And we live in a very safe place, historically speaking. And yet when this virus comes and they tell us to stay home and we start to see charts and graphs and all the news is giving us these graphs of how many people are infected and everything, it can really cause us to worry. And what do we do when we worry? You know, when we worry, whether it's just something personal or it's something that is in the community, we do panic a little bit. Has there been some panic going on? I think there's been a little bit of panic going on. Have you been to the store? And, uh, you know, there's other things that happen when we, when we panic. We start to have conspiracy theories, and we think maybe we're not being told the truth about some things, and maybe we lose, and ultimately, the conspiracy theories and panic, we lose some perspective a little bit, and we start to blame it on other people in other countries, and we blame politicians, and there's conspiracy theories about the military, conspiracy theories about different social groups. It's kind of an incredible thing. If you want a conspiracy theory, let me give you one. I think this is all created by the Charmin people. That's what I think. Follow the money. Who's making money out of this? Mr. Whipple, he's making money. You got to be over 40 to know what I'm talking about there, but I'm just kidding about the Charmin thing. So there's a lot of worrying going on. And all of a sudden, we're reminded that life is fragile. Our way of life is fragile too. Here's something we should be reminded of. It didn't just suddenly become fragile. It's always been fragile. 
It was fragile to the people who Jesus was speaking here to originally, a group of people who understood this very well, and yet they had very much the same kinds of worries that we have, and they had conspiracy theories too. The context here of Jesus' passage in the sermon is actually about rewards, eternal rewards and not earthly ones, that we should be concerned about heavenly things. And that theme continues here as he talks about worry. The context here will help us understand how we are not to worry. We're reminded in this passage in chapter 6 that religious activity is not done for the approval of other people, that God rewards what is done in private. And when you give, you should do so in private. And when you fast and when you pray, don't do it for the attention of others. And he teaches us to store up heavenly treasures and seek things that will last forever in your life. That's the context. And we're to seek after the eternal, not just temporal things, but everlasting things. And all those teachings that Jesus has just given us, it sets us up for this very practical passage about worry. And Jesus says, don't worry. And you see, The reason this is so great in the sermon is he tells us to pursue eternal things, and that's important, and we get that kind of religiously. But we happen to live in a world where you have to have money and certain things in order to survive, and sometimes those things are threatened. There's a great old movie. You've probably seen it. It's a wonderful life. It's a Christmas movie, right? And uh, what happens in this movie is the angel comes down to offer help to a guy who's in a lot of trouble, and the angel comes down, and he says to George Bailey, he says, uh, I'm here to offer, offer help. And George says to him, well, I know one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? And Clarence, the angel, he says, you know what? Well, we don't have money in heaven. And uh, George looks at him and he says, well, it comes in real handy down here, bud. You see, Jesus understands that there is a certain reality to the life we're living in, that when we talk about eternal things, that sometimes it's just hard to grasp those things. And he doesn't miss that. But he wants us to pay attention to the things that are going on in this life and think about what actually is important. So how do we live in this world where you have to deal with food and money and clothing and even toilet paper? How do you deal with it? Well, the church hasn't always dealt with this well, this question. One theologian said that nature always eats up grace, that our physical needs sometimes just gets overwhelming to us and we forget about God's grace for us. And physical things can just take over. So how do we deal with worry as a spiritual people? How do we not worry when life gets uncertain, when our routine is changed, when we're not really even sure what we're going to do this week, when our plans are uprooted? How do we live our life? I'm going to give you three things to think about and pray about together as a family or with your friends, with your neighbors. Jesus tells us to live faithfully, to live simply, and to live life missionally. First, let's talk about living life faithfully. In chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which are here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
Notice that he's not talking about seeking after great wealth and stuff. He's talking about food and covering. He's talking about the basics of what we need. And he says, and reminds us, God is providing for the birds for what they eat and the flowers for what they wear. I love the line about Solomon and all of his splendor didn't look like one of these flowers. That's the creator, very proud of his creation. How proud he is of these flowers and the beauty that they have. And yet he loves you even more and he's more proud of even you. And we're worried about the basics of our life not being met. Jesus says, hey, the Father loves you and he's providing for all of his creation and he's providing for you. And keep in mind the context of this passage is about storing up earthly treasures and what a waste that is spiritually because you can't take it with you. That we need to focus on why it is that we are here. And the point is, is that all money and all stuff that you have can offer you is sustaining of the physical life, but it doesn't deal with who you really are or what your eternal destination is. You see, you're the same person whether you're rich or poor. You need food and you need covering. You need those things in this life physically. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 6-7, he said, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Isn't that true? I mean, you can work and work and work and work and have all this stuff, and yet at the end, people just seem to always want more. And yet all that it's doing, all of your toil, is mainly providing you with food and clothing. And that's true whether you live in a big house in La Jolla or a small apartment in El Cajon. You're still just you in the house. You still need food and covering. Whether you wear fancy Bruno Mali shoes or Costco Kirkland loafers, you're still you. It's still just you. It's an interesting thing that we struggle so much in our culture, even in the church, and not just now, but through centuries of church history, we've struggled with this tension. And yet we seem to have so much value in status, in money, in safety. And Jesus is telling us, don't put your value there. Have faith. Trust God to provide you with what you need because you're here for a different reason. The comedian Johnny Carson, who hosted The Tonight Show for 30 years, he was a very wealthy man. And somebody asked him, what's it like to be this wealthy? And this was his response. He said, all money can give you is freedom from the worry of not having money. And that's it. And yet we spend so much time trying to attain this and trying to have stuff and hoard stuff so we have more stuff than somebody else. A comedian once said that the reason we need a bigger house is not for us, it's because we have too much stuff and we need a bigger house to put the stuff in. Isn't that true? And Jesus is saying, don't live that way. You gotta trust me and realize that the stuff that's going on in your life, you may not have it later. Life is fragile. This physical life is gonna end. And that wealth and having stuff and having more than others and, and having some for safety one day, it's not gonna satisfy you. And let's just be honest about who we are even as a church living in America here in the 21st century. We have a lot. We have a lot. Most of us struggle with losing weight, not with starving, as you can tell. We live in this incredible time where most diseases are being wiped out, and this one, coronavirus, it's going to be too. And we won't be worried about it probably a year or two from now, maybe ever again, or it'll be something we know how to handle. We can replace organs. We can extend life even with life-threatening diseases like cancer. We live in an amazing time. In so many ways, this ought to be the greatest time to be alive. But when you ask people, are you happy? They say no. We still worry and we fret and we get into debt because we want stuff that 
we just can't afford. And then we get ulcers because of the debt, because we owe somebody else, because we're working so hard. And we get promoted at some job and we make more money, but we used to come home at five and get to be with family, but now we're out till eight and you come home and you just want to veg and watch something on TV and you have no relationship with your family. Is it worth it? Do we worry about those things? Have we considered what it is that really matters? We have wealth and yet we still worry. What should we do? In verses 25, 27, 28, 31, and 34, Jesus says, don't worry. What does he mean? He means don't worry. The idea is that money and safety and health is not to be your main concern and preoccupation because we're wired a certain way as human beings made in the image of God. Everybody is wired this way, even if you don't realize that you are. This is how the Creator made you. When God put Adam and Eve on this earth, what did He make them to be? Theologians. They walked with God. They obeyed God. They were commanded by God to obey and subdue the earth and to fill it and cultivate it and to serve God in this way. That's how they were made. And the chief end of man, the Scripture tells us, is to know God and glorify Him. This is why, what we are made for. And what kind of man did God send to save us? A theologian who obeyed God, who served God. What was he wired to be? He was wired to be what is right, how we're made. What are we wired to be like as the church? Theologians, people who understand who God is and have a relationship with him, people of holiness who live a certain way, to live as missionaries in service because we know that all of this is temporary that there are eternal things and that treasures should be stored up in heaven and we should seek his kingdom first. And so when we get concerned about the pressures of life, the natural things of life, the things that come upon us, he says, hey, don't worry. All that stuff is small stuff actually. And you know what? You've got clothing, you're okay. And you've got more than others. If you do, use it to bless others. We were not made to be pack rats where we just collect stuff and hoard it. It's not what Adam and Eve did. It's not what Jesus did. Not what we're supposed to do. Jesus calls us to be faithful, to live a life faithfully. It means trusting in God regardless of the circumstances, trusting in God, and we fear God because of our respect for Him and who He is, but we don't fear anything else because God is in control. And if you worry... And particularly if you're worried about these circumstances today, here's what you need to do. First, trust God with the basics. In verse 25, he says, is life not more than food and clothing? In verse 30, he says, oh, you of little faith. He attaches it to faith because when we worry about all these other things, it's a statement about our faith, that we're not trusting God for the things that we actually need. See, our life is not for us just to process food and to put on a hat or put on a jacket or put on a dress or put on some kind of clothing and just be some kind of machine. There is something more to life than our physical sustenance. What's interesting is if you study art and you study literature, human beings in every generation know this. Most of the stuff that we see in art, it eventually reflects this or in literature. It's an old book, Great Gatsby. What's that about? It's about how riches just can lead you to total destruction and despair. Why is it a great book? Why do we read that today? It's decades old. Because it was one generation responding to what was going on in the 1920s, where we just felt like we've got everything and it's the greatest. And how fast was that taken away? 
very fast. Generations often don't know which way to repent, though, when they realize they need to repent. Generations have turned to the acquisition of wealth or to drugs or to sex or other things. But Jesus says, live life faithfully. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is revolutionary. And you know what it says to us? It says that we can travel light in this life. That we might have stuff and we might have all kinds of things that God has blessed us with, but we should not be attached to those things. We have something much greater to live for. Life is more than just our physical existence for a few years here. So we begin by living life faithfully and trusting God to give us what we actually need. And then secondly, we should live life simply. Verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. We tend to complicate our lives. We complicate our lives by making plans, you know, weeks and months in advance. I met with a guy who's a great leader, and he says he has somebody else control his calendar, and he has no idea what he's doing more than three days from now. How do you do that? How do you have no idea what city you're going to be speaking in three days from now? He says, I don't. They just give me the ticket, and I go. And this is the most stress-free guy I've ever met. How do you do that? And he just lives very simply. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 8, Paul would write this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You see, our contentment needs to be with those minimal things that God can give us, the simple things of food and clothing. God feeds the birds, he clothes the flowers, and God is going to take care of you. And when we live simply, when we realize that Our basic needs are being met by the Lord. It helps us not to worry. It helps us have the right perspective and to not panic when it looks like maybe some of the stuff we have or the life we're living, our routine is going to be upended. Proverbs 27, 24, the Proverbs writer says, For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. We spend all this time complicating complicating our lives so we can have more stuff and bigger houses. but it doesn't bring the happiness and the joy that we often think. Henry Ford, who if you take his income at the time, he was super rich for the time, but if you multiply it, he's one of the richest people ever to live, if you were to take that to modern-day money. And he was one of the richest people ever to live then. He said this. He said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. That was his response to having so much wealth, to having the ability to do anything he wants. All of you out there who are making minimum wage in your job, you know what? Do not be discontented with that. You have everything you need. Best thing I've seen on social media during all this crisis is a garbage man. The garbage man who nobody knows. He's not famous. He's just a guy like any of us. He says, I still have to do my job. And he says, I'm proud to do it. I've never been more proud to be a garbage man. He tweets this out. He goes, and people wave at me from their windows and I get to realize I'm helping them by taking away their stuff. This is blown up online of everybody responding to this man and saying, yes, this is what it's about. It's so simple. And in our culture, we wouldn't put a garbage man up on a pedestal until we realize that, you know what, maybe he's got something that we forgot about. 
Maybe he realizes that there's so much more to life than our career or our status or how much money we make. See, so often we live life for the wrong motive. There's an old movie. I guess I'm talking about old movies. If you go and you look at a list online of critics who say, what are the best movies of all time? One of the top movies will be a movie called Citizen Kane. You ever watch it? It's really old. It's a great movie, though. One of the best ever. Charles Foster Kane, and he's rich, and he's rich, and he's rich. And he parties, and he builds industry, and he does all of this stuff. And you watch this whole movie. But the weird thing about the movie is that when he dies, there's one word on his lips. He says, Rosebud. And nobody knows what it means. Why is that his last words? Why is that the case? And you watch this man go through this whole life of wealth and partying and investment and and success, but then also personal struggle, personal heartache, all of these things. And when he dies, he says, Rosebud. And what was it? Rosebud was the name of the sled that he rode as a little kid in Colorado. And the idea is that in the movie, All of his life, he has all of the stuff that he's worried about and stressed about, all the stuff going right, all the stuff going wrong, and the thing that he longs for at the end was a childhood, some fun, some time with family, some time with his mom. That's why that movie is so profound. Also, I just ruined it for everybody, if you've never watched it. And you're like, well, I I got some time, I'm home, I guess I'll watch Citizen Kane. Nope, I ruined that. Okay, that's all right. Sorry, I do that sometimes, once in a while. Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze. That ruined that movie for you too, okay. Anthony Perkins is his own mom, Never mind. We are to live simply. You know what happens in life? One person said life is what happens when you're chasing your dreams. And we so often miss life because we're chasing our dreams. You see, life is time at a coffee shop with your friends. Life is going to Little League games with your kids and trips to the beach. You see, the joy of life, the things that we really enjoy is this time with each other. And when we're pursuing the wrong thing, when we're worried about money, we're worried about our income, we're worried about our status, and so we pursue and pursue and pursue, we miss out on the great things that God actually has provided us, the relationships we have with each other and with our family. You know, in Europe, as they go through this, for them, it's not as much, they don't have as much materialism as we have, and that's because in Europe, there's not a lot of material to be ismed. There's not a lot of property to own. There's not really a lot of land. You're not going to own a bunch of stuff. And the interesting thing for them is when they go out to eat and you have enough money to go out to a restaurant, you don't go in a lot of European countries just to eat. You go and you rent a table space for three or four hours, and you bring your friends and family, and it's an event and you talk, and you share, and you laugh, and maybe you get to sit out on a veranda and watch people and enjoy your life and enjoy your food and take time to taste it, have it come out slowly and just be with people. We can learn a a few things from them. You see, money can provide food and covering, but we should not be preoccupied by money because life is so much more than physical. God will provide the basics. He will take care of you. You know, it's another sermon for another time. There are people in the world who are starving who don't maybe have the basics, although most people do even in the worst neighborhoods. I've been in some places on a mission trip where people had nothing, it seemed like. And one of the roles of the church, God's body, Jesus' body, is to be there to food and clothe them. That's part of our job is 
the church. But for most of us here and most of us in our country, even the poorer ones in our country, we are going to have food. It will be there. Some of us need to work harder for it or the schools that are closed are going to provide it if the kids aren't eating well. But those basic things are being provided. And in our church, I've noticed something. Every single Sunday, everybody comes wearing clothes. That's good. Keep it up. That may not be true today. Never mind. Also, everybody comes and they're fed. They either ate before they came or they eat all of our donuts or they have the oatmeal. I mean, isn't it amazing what we have here? It's incredible. It is an incredible blessing of God. He is providing. Most of us are prospering in these areas of food and clothing. But you know what? You can't take it with you. You cannot take your your clothing and your stuff and your bank account with you. One of the things that we see is what a shame it is when we're just concerned about those things. But what can you take with you? You know, Jesus didn't take anything with him. They took his clothing. They gambled it away. One of his last words was, I thirst. But he did take something with him. You know what that was? The guy next to him on the cross who he said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus had an eternal perspective that even though physically he was going to die, he knew that wasn't the end. And what he took with him was a soul. And see, in our life, when we're living faithfully and we're living simply, it gives us an opportunity to realize what it is that we do take with us. And it's souls. It's eternal things. Everything else we leave behind. God is going to provide what we need physically. He will give us food and he will sustain us and we'll be able to live simply. And even through lean times, times that test us in our trust for him, it's an opportunity for us to develop that. But maybe one of the best opportunities for us right now is to realize that our call, the way we're wired, is to live missionally, to live for the souls of others. To live in such a way that we realize that we're in a position to help, a calling to help, that we're wired this way, to serve God in this way. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, there's not a difference in even clothes and shelter for everybody. Everybody needs that. And everybody has the same kind of concerns about life, about a job, about needing a place to live, about needing something to wear, those kinds of things. It doesn't make us Christians because of this. A Christian needs to seek the world differently and be different from the rest of the world. It's a problem for Christians when we seek power and we seek wealth like the rest of the world. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you want a purpose in life, seek his kingdom. Seek this. That's your purpose in life. It's your purpose right now. You want a priority in life? Seek his kingdom first. Not second or not third or just on Sundays or just when I can tune in, or just when I can go over there. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness every single day. And you know why that is? Here's why. Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience here originally. And what did the kingdom mean to a Jewish person who was hearing that? Here's what it means. The kingdom had the idea that there is a distinct endpoint of human history, 
that history is actually going somewhere, that at one point the Messiah will be revealed in the air when every eye would see him, when men would mourn over their sin, when he would rule the nations, when he would head back everything under him and restore all of history the way it ought to be, that this is where history is going. You see, as a Christian, we do not have a cyclical view of history with just looking at history going kingdoms rise and fall and winter, summer, spring and fall, just like life and death, and it just keeps on going. Our view is that history, nothing in history is meaningless or going nowhere. That everything that happens, every circumstance is taking us to a point where Messiah will be revealed to everybody, where Jesus will return. It's called a telic view of history. I'm a historian, so I'll give you that word. It means that it will end. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. History will end in the kingdom of God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Nature will be subdued. The swords will be bent in the plowshares. The penalty, presence, and power of sin will be gone. There will be return of Messiah. This is where history is going, we believe. And redemption is not just feeding the poor or helping people. It's that we do this because there will be no poor in the kingdom of God and we do it on heaven and and on earth now as it is in heaven. That we love people now because there will be only love in the kingdom of God. And we love them now on earth as it is in heaven. You see, for believers, this stuff matters. Lots of you are reading the book of Revelation now. Ha. Well, Revelation points to this end. It says that these things are going to happen and then Jesus is going to come. Come back. What Jesus is telling people here is seek that kingdom in this life and seek it first. Make it your priority in this life. And when you do, there's nothing to worry about. And when you seek first his kingdom, you don't have to worry. Jesus has told us where the future is going, how it's all going to work out in the end, and where you're gonna go if you die beforehand. And one day you will get sick and die or have something happen and you won't be there And you know what? The worst thing that's going to happen to you if you know Jesus is you're going to die and go get to be with Jesus. And that's pretty good. In fact, that's the greatest news there is. So do your work for the glory of God. Anything that you're doing, use your money for it, your skills for it. Be concerned about souls, about serving people, about eternal things. First Timothy 6 gives us a great cross-reference in verse 17. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, when we seek first the kingdom of God, it's truly life. It's life where we don't have to worry, where we have a purpose and we've prioritized it as first. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Can you become arrogant because you have riches or status or a lot of stuff because you got to Costco first and cleaned them out? Yes, you can. And here's the scary thing. Whatever it is that you have, all the physical things that you own, you only have them for a few more weeks and months. That's all you got. You don't take it with you. You don't. What's going to happen is one day you will be gone and there will be an estate sale of all of your stuff. Most of it your kids don't want. 
It's going to go away. And you know what's going to happen to your house? Somebody's going to take your house and they're going to rent it out to UCSD sophomores. And they're going to throw parties in there and they're not going to have any furniture. That's coming to your house that you've worked so hard to build, so hard to decorate. The warning is do not be arrogant because money can make you arrogant. Do not fix your hope on what is uncertain. It can lure you into a lifestyle that you cannot sustain because life is fragile. It can lure you into the idea that status matters, that somehow I'm better than that person because I've got more, I've got better education, or I just have made better decisions or whatever. And it becomes important not just to have money, but to be able to spend it. And the weird thing that people do when they have a bunch of money and they want to spend it is they assume that the source of that money is just going to continue so they can keep spending it. Well, this is not certain. So we are told to have hope in God instead. And this passage also tells us that he gives us stuff to enjoy and to enjoy it with other people, that the stuff we have, we should enjoy while we have it. And you know what? Go out there and get you yourself a good phone so you can take nice pictures. And go out there and have a nice meal once in a while and spend some money. But you know what? Also use your money. Prioritize your money to do good with it. And give it away. And use it for the kingdom. See, money is great, biblically, when it's used right. In verse 19, the kingdom of God, he says, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, now you will have life and joy when you realize that your stuff, your wealth, the stuff that you have, the ability you have to serve people, the health that you've got now, when you leverage that for the sake of other people, you find out this is the best way to live life, that it isn't just about me. You know, giving away during this time If you're worried about stuff, think about this for a minute. The best time you're going to have while you're stuck at home because the kids aren't in school or you get quarantined at home or you're sick or whatever, the best thing that's going to happen during this period of time is that you learn to give stuff away, not hoard it. That's the best you're going to feel about life. Did you know that? You're going to have this opportunity somehow to serve other people. The happy people are not going to be the people who are hoarding. The people who are going to be the happiest are the people who are giving it away. If you help your neighbor by giving them a much-needed roll of toilet paper because you've got extras, that's going to be the best thing you do all day. It is. And let me tell you something else. If you give your neighbor your last roll of toilet paper, it's still worth it. You will be a modern-day widow's mite story. And you know what? God will provide. Some European neighbor will buy you a bidet say, don't worry, I'll install it. You have no idea how God is going to bless you for blessing others. But this is the way it works. We are to keep a loose hand on our stuff. The scriptures say that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but God is going to increase your seed for sowing if you give generously. He will make sure that you never outgive him. Do you see what Jesus is saying here in our passage? The Christian life is not about stuff or the temporary. He will give you what you need, to do his mission, to live a life according to the way you've been designed, according to the way you've been wired. The Christian church has struggled with this. 
The first three centuries of the Christian church, we didn't struggle much with it because we had no wealth and no power. We just died. There were 10 government persecutions. The world was not safe for Christians. But then it became the official religion and Christianity and power and position became something oddly important. And the idea is if you had more, even in the church, it would sort of buy you an inside track to having more authority or more position or more power, whether it be locally or nationally or just in the church. And the church went stale. Eventually, there were monks and monasteries and convents. They showed up because people realized, you know what, there's no standard for a holy life anymore. We were missing something. We're no different than the world, and people began to swear off money. Eventually, Pope Leo made Charlemagne emperor, if you know your history, and it made a political empire, and now the Pope had political and military clout, and Christianity got power, and it wasn't real good. But people looked around, and St. Francis of Assisi says, hey, that's not what this is about. We're no different than anybody, and he created the friars, and they took a vow of poverty, celibacy and service. And they just said, let's just love people. That's what we're called to do. Eventually, the Reformation said, hey, the church isn't going in the right direction. Salvation is by grace, not by good works, not by things that you earn. Is there tension today in our country about how a Christian should live? There is. What should we do? We should live faithfully. We should live simply and live missionally. We like to say that we want to be families on a mission. This is a great opportunity to do that. This is a great opportunity to take an evaluation of how we're doing as a family or how am I doing as a single person with my friends or if I live alone with my, my neighbors, my coworkers, the people that I live around. We have an opportunity here to be the church to destroy the myth that the church has to meet in a particular location at a particular address with a sign outside. That's not the church. It's a convenience that we have in this era, a convenience that we cannot rely on forever. The church is wherever you are right now. The church is you with your family and maybe your friends are gathered. The church are wherever you go outside and talk to your neighbors. When you talk to your coworkers, your classmates, that's the church. So some takeaways for today. First of all is do this. Have faith that God will supply the basics. He will take care of you, and don't worry during this time. Trust him for those basics. If you're getting a little bit low in the pantry, if you feel like, I don't know what we're gonna eat tomorrow, you know what, let somebody know. Let somebody know here at our church. Go to our websites. Call the care line number that was given out. It'll be given out again later. Send an email to the prayer lines. Let somebody know. One of our big concerns is that there are some people in our church maybe who live by themselves or maybe who can't even watch this video because they don't have internet access. Do you know who those people are? Do you have a thought of who they are? Give them a call. We've been having lots of discussions about how we can take care of one another. And it's a little complicated with the virus going around because you don't want to give somebody a bunch of canned food that's got the virus crawling all over it here. So we're looking at ways to do that in a safe and effective way. But you know what? Pay attention to your neighbors. Today's trash day in my neighborhood, tonight. I intend on making sure that my neighbor's trash gets put out, not just to help her, but to make sure that she's okay find out. Do not worry 
Live simply. Don't worry about the stuff. Think about what you've got in your house that you could give away. Think about how you could actually help other people and focus on what matters most. And live missionally. This will give you purpose and hope in every circumstance, including this one. Use this time missionally as a family or just between you and God. Here's something I'd like you to do if you haven't done this before, or maybe you should revisit it because it changes all the time. I like to talk to you about your oikos. Oikos is a word that means household. It's relational world, though. It isn't just the people under your roof. It's the people that you do life with. Our job as a church is to love and care for those people. Some of them are your kids or your mom and dad or your grandma or whoever lives with you in the house, but some of them are the person next door, people you work with. Would you take a few minutes? We're going to have some time and pray. But as you think about this period of time that we're entering into, which is new for all of us, would you pray for those people? In fact, make a list. Everybody in your household has between about eight and 15 people that you interact with on a regular basis, including the people, including the people that you're looking at right now. Those people are part of your oikos. Would you write down those names? Don't get too crazy because you can't do it for everybody, but the people that actually are part of your life, pray for them today. Pray for each other in the room and pray for them. And ask God this, say, God, how can you use me to use what I have to help them? And pray that we can all live faithfully, that we can live simply and live on a mission together. That's what this means. This is such a great opportunity for you right now to take a look at your family and your friends around you and say, how can we live missionally? How can we give of what we have so that other people are taken care of? And ask God for wisdom with that. Like I said, it's, there are some complications to that. But at the same time, ask God for bravery and wisdom that even if it's hard, sometimes it's necessary to serve people in ways that might bring some risk to ourselves. Would you pray for those people? Pray for the leaders of our country, of countries around the world, that they will make good decisions, that this won't be just something political, but that we will make good decisions. Pray for our doctors and nurses and local politicians who are working very hard, who are making very difficult decisions. And pray for our church. Pray for every person in our church, not just the leadership, but for sure, pray for us. That we would stay healthy, that we would leverage this time to be an even better community of care and grace for each other and for our community and city. Because this is why we're here. And see, maybe the reason for all of this from God's eternal perspective is it gives us a time to refocus on the things that are so important, on the calling that is true in each one of our lives so we can make disciples of Jesus and follow him and let other people know that their hope is not in this world, their hope is not in the health that they thought they had that maybe is not very strong, that everybody's hope is in Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. If you're watching and you don't know who Jesus is and you're thinking, you're right, pastor, everything is fragile, what do I do? How do I not worry about this? You know what you gotta do? It's as easy as ABC. Admit that you are not perfect. We might call that a sinner. And maybe you're saying, well, I'm not a sinner. Oh, yeah, ask somebody. I bet they'll tell you that you are. You are. And admit it, that there's some guilt and there's some spiritual angst that you have about certain things. Admit that. That's where it begins. And the second thing, though, is believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. 
that he's your savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, for that angst and that guilt that you carry around with you, that that was nailed to the cross with him, and that whoever believes that he took care of that has everlasting life. And then commit to follow him. Admit, believe, and commit. Follow him. Say, okay, Jesus, how do I follow you? Begin with not worrying. Trust him for your basic needs. Live simply and get on mission and purpose for life because this is life. This is the greatest way to live, to love others in the name of Christ, giving God the glory because history is coming to a point where every knee is gonna bow and every tongue will confess. And all of this is meaningful when we look at it in those terms. And you have value and you have purpose and you have mission and so does everybody in the room right now with you. So would you pray about those things? We're obviously not gonna do communion today in this way, but we're gonna use this time to pray with each other and for each other and to pray about mission. And if you're not a believer and you wanna receive Christ, would you call us here? Call First Baptist Church of San Diego. We'll be answering the phones. Call Grace City Church. They're answering the phones. Send us an email. We'd love to tell you about Jesus and how you can begin to follow him today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. And your word tells us to give thanks and have joy in every circumstance. And we're in a weird circumstance right now. And there is great fear and there is panic and there is concern about this virus. Lord, in the middle of that, I ask that as a church together, we would not be afraid, that we would trust you, that our needs will be met, and that we would be reminded that we can live simply in the stuff that we have. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be so generous with it that people would say, why are those people not hoarding but they're giving it away who go to that church, who believe those things about Jesus? I pray that you get the glory for those things. And Lord, I pray that we are able to live missionally, that even today as we're together with our family, that maybe as we pray together right now in just a moment, maybe it'll be a reminder that we haven't done this in a long time with our family a reminder of what it is that we are to be doing together. Or if we are by ourselves, Lord, I pray that every person hearing this would be aware of your presence and your love for them personally. And that you are an infinite God and you have an infinite amount of time for their worries and their concerns. And you're listening. Lord, I pray that they cry out to you today and that you comfort them. And as a church, Lord, I pray that we would be aware of those who are suffering around us, that we would not be just worried about ourselves, but we would see this as an opportunity to love practically the people that you've placed around us and that we would grow spiritually in you, that we would not worry, but we would have great joy and great life because we're doing what it is you've called us to do according to how we are made. We thank you for those opportunities. I thank you for the prayers that are happening in our households right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.